something a little bit different today. It's been a while since I preached this message, but it never grows old. The message on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Let me say this about that, if I could please, before we get started. It's very important for you to understand that the the crux of or the center point of our faith is not just the crucifixion, but the day that separates by three days sadness and three days later gladness is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when you talk about the crucifixion, I want to make sure that you clearly understand it didn't end at Calvary. If it had, we wouldn't be here. The atonement ended and it was finished there, but had he not come out of the ground, then we would be like Paul says in Corinthians, he said, we'd be of all men most miserable. The center stone, the cornerstone, the keystone, the most important thing is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many people have died on crosses. What makes it different is His cross becomes the cross. And that's the most important thing that you have. So not to be morbid and not to be thinking, well, why do we need to know all these things? You need to understand a couple of things as we start this message. The atonement was completed on Calvary, but it began in Gethsemane. He began sweating great drops of blood in Gethsemane and then was beaten. And people have wondered how come he had to suffer because his stripes are what begins the healing, the atonement for your sin. In 1 Peter chapter number 2, when Paul, or Peter, excuse me, makes a reference back to the book of Isaiah chapter 53, many people try to apply that pre-Calvary and say, well, now that I am saved, I'm sealed to the day of redemption, but that means by his stripes, I'm therefore healed of all my physical infirmities. Before Calvary, healing was a part of it. But after Calvary, your healing is spiritual. You may still have physical afflictions and physical ailments. You may still have problems. That part of the atonement for you is not completed until the day of the rapture when you get a new body. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I look forward to getting a new body. One of the reasons we begin to age is all of a sudden things that used to work and work pretty well, they all of a sudden quit working and go to hurting. Of course, Brother Tyrrell, who's gone on to be with the Lord now, he used to say, well, preacher, you'll learn this as you get older. If it quits hurting, it ain't working. So sometimes pain, they say, is good, but I don't know about that. But sometimes we fail to remember that the blessings that we received of God are spiritual blessings, though along the way we may get some some physical blessings, our purpose for being saved is not relief from pressure here, but relief from pressure in the world to come. So I want you to understand if you're here today on what most people refer to as Easter Sunday or Resurrection Day as we refer to it, and we try our best to put the focus or the emphasis on Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. The reason we have the Lord's Supper tonight is, is that before he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, they had the Lord's Supper known as the Last Supper. And of course, you know what the Lord said to everybody at that table. All of you that want to be on the, in this picture, get on this side of the table. But we know that at the Lord's Supper, we know that's where Judas betrayed him, and that's a type picture of uh, somebody that is taking the Lord's Supper inappropriately, and then he winds up betraying the Lord, Satan's entered into him, and then we begin what Jesus Christ came for, and what he came for was not to just die on the cross, be buried and raised again the third day, but was to die for sinners. He came to die so that we could be saved. We could be reconciled to God the Father. So even if you may not have everything else down pat, the most important thing is, is to understand salvation is through the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about the crucifixion to help you to understand the devil made every attempt he possibly could in the Lord's flesh to try to turn him from completing that which God had called him to do. But make no mistake about it, if you read even the Old Testament passages, the Bible says that God the Father, that it pleased God to bruise His only begotten Son. It pleased Him to make Him a sacrifice for sinners. Why? Because no matter what the devil poured out, no matter what God Himself poured out on mankind's sin, it did not deter Him from what God sent Him to do, and that was for Him to die. This time, this day, this period is not about bunnies and eggs and fancy dresses and hats and those kinds of things. This is a day that we wouldn't have that would be like no other day 
if he had, or be like any other day, had he not been resurrected. It is the day, the first day of the week that he came up. By the way, I don't have time to go into it, but there was no Good Friday. Uh, the Lord didn't die on Friday and then come up 24 hours later on. He was in the tomb three days and three nights. Matthew chapter 12, as Jonas was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. You have to be very careful about individuals who try to make a religious or a holy day out of something that is not holy. There was nothing good except for us about Jesus Christ dying on Calvary. There was nothing pretty about it. There was nothing remarkable about it in the sense that you would look at it as any other person being crucified except that was God manifest in the flesh who was being crucified for our sins. The difference in his and 500 others that would have occurred within a couple of days of this crucifixion is this is God manifest in the flesh being crucified for you. You've never had a Savior like that. There is no religious leader like that who is able as God to die for his own creation. Matthew chapter 27, if you would like to stand, I'll give you a few verses here, and then we'll come through this passage. I want you to, to, be, to begin to be able to see what's going on. The Bible says, Matthew 27, <coughs> and we'll pick it up there in verse number 22. They released unto him Barabbas in verse number 21. Pilate said unto, What shall I do with, then with Jesus? which is called Christ. Now, let me say this. That's still the question today. We're here in church today, and the issue becomes, even after you're saved, what are you doing with Jesus Christ? Now that you're saved, what are you doing with this man called Jesus? But if you're not saved, what are you going to do with him? That's the question. When you see it presented to you today, ultimately, at the end of the message, is going to come a decision that's going to say, Okay, he died for you according to the Scriptures. He was buried and raised again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now what say ye? What are you going to do with this man called Jesus Christ? You only have two choices. You say, I don't want to choose. Then you chose by not choosing. Right. You have a choice to accept his atonement for you or you have a choice to reject him. Rejecting him causes you to spend an eternity in hell, come out at the great white throne, and then go into the lake of fire, or trust him as your Savior and wind up in heaven with him. But he leaves the choice to you. The Bible says when Pilate saw, verse 24, that he couldn't have prevailed nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you, God, as we look back on Calvary today, that you may allow us through not only the things that we see visually, but through the use of words and through the power of the Holy Spirit that we might be able to paint in some horrid manner what actually occurred on Calvary's cross. We pray, Lord, that you may not only infuse the speaker with the Holy Spirit, but those that are listening, that you may cut down on the distractions, that you may, as it would be, plead the blood of Jesus Christ over this place, as we're sure that the devils will be very interested to try to do all they can to subvert this message. We'd ask God that you may save that one today nearest hell. Allow us the opportunity to hear the cries of newborns as we've already heard newborn fleshly children born. We'd ask that we may see newborn Christians saved here today and cry out unto thee. We'd ask now, God, as we go through these things, that you may take control of the service, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, notice, if you will, please, as you're being seated in verse number 26 in the parallel passages, that the first thing that happens is a scourging of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. It's not as many people try to paint it. This scourging was done, and generally speaking, they followed very precisely Roman law. Roman law said that it was possible to scourge or to beat anybody 39 stripes or 40 stripes save one. So it would be 39, which is 3 times 13. So what they realized was is they could not inflict enough damage by just hitting somebody with a single whip. So what they did was is they decided or devised what they call either a cat of nine or twelve tails. 
That cat of nine or twelve tails was formulated in, into a leather uh, thong, a leather uh, makeup of a whip there. And what he did there was is they put in bits of pottery and bits of clay, bits of iron, bits of steel, bits of bone to make very sharp instruments so that when they would whip the victim that was tied, oftentimes hands and feet tied together, oftentimes chained up between two poles, sometimes around poles, and the whips would be on either side, Roman soldiers on both sides of them, and they would count them out as they lashed across the back. But they would hit that back right there, and as the Bible teaches us in the book of Isaiah, he gave his back to be plowed like furrows rowed in it, and they would grab that thing in there, if you can imagine the teeth on a chainsaw, and then they would drag that across the victim's back and lacerate his back, laying bare the bone structure, the kidney structure, everything on the inside, literally filleting open the back of Jesus Christ so that you understand how horrible that is. We tried our best. Miss Bridget has painted. I think Miss Drina made all of the, 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 uh, the labels and stuff so that you can kind of see it. This is just a picture that doesn't really do it justice, but it talks about here this leather thong or this whip that was made, bits of bone and bits of pottery and bits of, bo of, of uh, clay and things that are in here, metal balls used to inflict pain upon the victim. Oftentimes, as a matter of fact, studying historians back in this time, these Roman legionnaires were the biggest, the baddest, the meanest, and the strongest, and usually the drunkest. And their job was to do what they could to try to kill the victim, the victim by blood loss. Oftentimes, when they struck the victim the first time or two, the blood would immediately begin to pool underneath the skin, and it would begin to create contusions, and then begin to create edema, and it would begin to create uh, different things where there was blood and fluids up underneath it. And then once they finally broke through that flesh, then it would burst through into huge pools of blood, and oftentimes the individuals would wind up dying from simply blood loss alone. By this time, Jesus Christ has already been to a trial. By this time, he had been tried at nighttime. He has already been beaten. He has already been spat upon. They've already made fun of him by putting a little reed in his hand and then taking something similar to a bamboo rod, plaiting a crown of thorns, placing it upon his head, and then banging that crown of thorns down into his head. And he was already bleeding profusely. He had not had anything to drink. He was dehydrated. He was emaciated. He had been up all night long. He had had the last supper there with the apostles and then gone out into the garden. And after that was taken through this sham of a trial. By this time, he stands before Pilate. And Pilate says, well, I can't find any fault with him. And they say, well, give us Barabbas and go ahead. So Pilate's thought was, if I have him beaten bad enough, if that doesn't kill him, when they see him beaten, you know what they'll say? That's enough. That, then let him not be crucified. You say, why? Pilate was an instrument in the hands of, G, of the devil himself because the devil did not want him to go to Calvary. You see, this portion of the atonement wouldn't have been enough to complete the atonement for your soul. This portion of him starting to shed his blood for the things that you've done and did, that is not going to cover everything. The Bible says, by his stripes you're healed. Every stripe you see right there would cover every sin you could possibly commit. As a matter of fact, if you look at the body of Jesus Christ, you'll see holes in his hands, which we'll talk about in a little while. What are those there for? They're for sins of things you touched you shouldn't have touched. What about the holes in his feet for going places you had no business going? What about the crown of thorns around his head? That's for my sins of intellect, my thinking things that are not right to think. What about the hole that's over in his side that ran up in his heart? That's for my sins of affection. Every sin you could possibly account for, he died for, and he paid the price as he was laying there and being whipped. The devil is right here, make no mistake. If I could get this painted the way I'd like, I would have Miss Bridget paint a picture of Satan on Carnot over here. I'd have that sulfuric breath right in the face of Jesus Christ and saying, you're going to let your creation do this to you? You're going to let these people that are going to deny you and betray you anyway do this to you? You're going to die for these people who've never done anything good for you? These people that have spat on you and plucked out your beard and mocked you, belittled you, made fun of you? After all you've done for them, you're going to let them do this? People in that crowd were not just individuals. They were His chosen people, the nation of Israel, the Jews. And sometimes even in churches you have individuals that happen to be against each other and Jesus Christ knows exactly what that's like. That beating was something beyond whatever you could imagine. Those individuals that were there were not only physically strong, but they would have been demonically possessed. 
the, 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 what the Lord is trying to do here is, is pour out his wrath upon sin, and the devil is doing everything he can to try to kill him, but he left out one variable. He can't kill eternal life. The reason that Jesus Christ didn't die when he was being beaten there as anybody else would is because when he decides when he dies because the Bible said he laid his life down. It was a willing sacrifice. Make no mistake about it. The Romans, the Jews, and me and you did not take his life from him. He gave his life for you and I. Every beating that he took there, he took willingly. The Bible says when he reviled, he reviled not again. When they mocked the little, they made fun of him. They said certain things. They smacked him. You know what the Lord said? If I've said anything worthy of getting smacked, then go ahead and smack me. Contrary to the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter number 2, when they smacked him, Paul said, The Lord smite thee, you whited wall. The difference is, as a lamb for a sheep before a shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. Boy, what a lesson there is in that. When he's being accused, and it would have to all be false, when he's being accused by the people he knows, Caiaphas smacks him. They got his eyes blindfolded. They're laughing at him. It's in a sense it's like him being tortured by a terrorist organization, like they've got a bag over his head. And they walk up and smack him, and they mock him and say, Well, who smacked you? And the Lord said, Well, I'll tell you when it really matters. I'll see you at the great white throne. I'll tell you who smacked me. He knew exactly who was hitting them before they ever hit him. He knew exactly what was going on. You know what he did? He sat there and willingly take it, picked himself up off the floor time and time and time and time again. They put on him a purple robe. Why? To mock him because he was a king, to laugh at him, to belittle him, to make fun of him. You say, well, I don't know that I would do that. We similarly do the same thing when you mock his crucifixion. If you don't accept the blood atonement, guess what? God's not in love with you like you might think. If you're visiting today, could I just say this to you with all the compassion I can muster? Uh, the mistake is that the world has taught you that God loves you even if you're unsaved. God doesn't love you if you haven't trusted His Son. Amen. The love comes in Jesus Christ. The key to getting God's love is to be in Jesus Christ, the one that bought and paid for you. Amen. Well, after they have beaten Him, they bring Him out there. Pilate makes a great statement and it'd make a great sermon if you had time to preach the sermon. A message I heard preached years ago and I've never forgotten is called Behold the Man. And in that message called Behold the Man, Pilate has brought him out there. The Bible says in Isaiah 52, his visage was marred more than any man. He comes out there looking like hamburger. His mother wouldn't even recognize him. He didn't know who it was or maybe to hear him speak. I mean, beaten up without a bone broken. Beaten beyond any kind of recognition whatsoever. Eyes now swollen shut, mouth all drawn together. The Bible says in Psalm 22 that his mouth is dried out and it's like postured and all that pus, all that sweat, all of those things are beginning to come out of him and he brings him up there naked from the waist down, most likely completely naked, and he presents him to the crowd and he says, Behold the man! And the crowd's response is, Yes, so what? Crucify him. Bloodlust had run about them. They're so thirsty they can't wait to see him crucified. They can't stand it. And so now what Pilate does is he condemns him to be crucified and he lets Barabbas go free. I wanted to get the boys to sing it today, but we don't have time. I want to be respectful of your time, but I wanted them to sing that song that, uh, about Barabbas going free. You say, why? Because that would be me in the story. I'm the one that was condemned to death. I'm the one that deserved to die. I'm the one that did things guilty of dying. I'm guilty of deicide. I deserve to pay for my sin in hell. And the Lord came up there and said, which one do you want? And the Lord said, wait a minute. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll die in his place and I'll let him go free. I'm Barabbas in the story. Uh, a, 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 a rebel. I'm an individual that didn't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. I'm out my, about my own causes. I might have looked at him and said he must be a good man, but if the push comes to shove, you're going to crucify me or him, crucify him, let him go. You know what you'll do? You'll make the same decision today. You'll walk out of here today. If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ, you know what you'll say? I don't care he died for everybody else. He ain't dying for me. Let me go. You know what you have to do in order to be saved? You have to let him take your place. But you have to realize you deserve to be there. A fellow said one time to me, he said, you know, well, so what you're saying is if I was the only man around, then Jesus would have died for me. And I said, yep. But I said, that's only half the story. You say, why is that? Because the other half is, is you'd have had to been the one to put him on the cross. If you really want to know how that really goes, it goes like this. You'd have been the one whipping him. You'd have been the one nailing the nails on him. You'd have been the one spitting on him. You'd have been the one plucking his beard. You'd have been the one taking the one that created you. You say it can't be that way. If you're unsaved today, you're guilty of deicide. You did do that. If you're saved today, you took responsibility for doing that, and you realize that you are the one that did that. 
I wish I could paint. I can't paint. If I could paint, man, I would have this old soldier down here and I'd have him turn his head just, a, just enough and you'd see a profile of my face with gritted teeth and a devilish look on my face. If I could paint when we get over here to the spikes, I'd have that Roman centurion there with that big hammer in his hand like this and right as he's driving that spike into the hand of Jesus Christ, I'd have him turn around and look with that most demonic grimace on his face, but you could tell it was me and I'd be driving that spike down into his hands and into his feet. I'd hang him up there on that cross. I'd be the one standing there with that spear and jab it in his side with my teeth gritted and said, yeah, it's about time you die and jab it and watch that blood and water flow down, run all down on the spear and run all over me and me just wash that stuff off of me and say, I don't want nothing to do with that. It's just another person. That's how I'd paint it. You say, why? That's how you have to apply the atonement. You have to realize it's not for the whole world. It's for you personally. You have to apply it personally. And if you don't apply it personally, you can't be saved. So the next thing that they do is, is they take the cross member. Now, many times they show it different kinds of ways that generally would lash the person to the cross. Sometimes they carry it on their shoulders. Sometimes they carried it across their backs and those kind of things. And so he would have carried it. But people want to disagree with this. If you study crosses and how things were made, going all the way to Vlad the Impaler and all the other kind of things they picked up from Rome, it makes more sense that they had a standard that would be anywhere from six to eight feet up in the air so they'd be able to lift the victim up there and then slide this cross member over there. It had a little biscuit cutter, a dovetail cut in it, and it would slide over and fall into place and jar the victim's hands, which we'll talk about in a minute, that were nailed here. That would also make the cross member to be reused, and they would leave the standard all along the highway to remind all of the Jews who was in power in time, to let them know there was capital punishment for not going along with Rome. If you disagreed with the government in those days, they crucified you. Most likely, and I'll get to this with the feet in a minute, most likely this part right here is called a sedile, was most likely not there. Most of the crosses that they've dug back up didn't have that. And the reason for that is, is that by nailing the foot with the ankle with the heel all the way this way, the victim would be unable to lock his legs and take pressure off. It would keep pressure constantly on his thighs until his thighs would begin to tremble and begin to shake, and then he would drop, and then the weight would be on both of his arms. And that weight is spread out evenly because they became real, real good instruments of torture. Now this says, this is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It's written in all the languages. You know, what you've got to look in here is, is when it says this is king of the Jews, and you have a, one thief over there that believes what he read. And you have another one that didn't believe what he read. He thought he was just a man. You say, it can't be that simple. Why do you think he put it up there? That's Pilate's way of abating his conscience. He's saying, I'll go ahead and say that he is. Maybe he'll have mercy only later on. No mercy, Pilate. You're down there washing your hands in fire now, Pilate. You say, why? You rejected the Son of God when you had the chance. Can you imagine the story that would have been written about Pilate? Pilate was the one that refused and they nailed Pilate to the cross and they would have eventually nailed Jesus anyway. But can you imagine what a hero Pilate would have been if he'd have had the backbone to stand up and to tell all them people, I'm not crucifying that king. I know that king is not from this world. If he were, his army would fight for him. I'm not going to be a part of that thing. I'm not only going to wash my hands off it, I ain't having nothing to do with it. And they say, well, Pilate, we're going to overthrow you. We'll have Herod come and replace you. Well, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. He should have listened to his wife. His wife comes to him during the, the next morning, wakes up there. She's had a disturbed sleep and been up all night long and stuff like that. She says, honey, I need to talk to you. Yeah, what is it? You know, she said, where's my coffee at? I'll get you that in a minute. I need to talk to you. Well, bring me my coffee. I don't want to talk till I get my coffee, he says. He says, honey, I really need this. is important. Okay, well, you got something more important than this guy, Jesus. I got, it's about him. Last night I had a dream. And in that dream right there, I was told, you better not mess with that guy. There's something about that man different than anybody you've ever put in here. Yeah, there sure is, sister. You've got that right. There is something about him. You know what he said? Go get my coffee and shut your mouth. What's a woman have to do with this thing called Jesus? Well, honey, I know this. There's a bunch of women that have gotten to know him, and they're not knowing him like you guys are knowing him. They're knowing him as somebody that's really helped them and saved them. And I'm just saying, I'm just trying to give you some advice. be better for you not to mess with him while you're messing with him. Shut up and get out of here. Send the servants in here with my coffee. Later on, Pilate comes over there and talks to the Lord, and he says to the Lord, he says, so you're the big shot, are you? You're the king? And he says, well, thou, thou sayest. He said, you know who I am? You know how much power I have? I can have the power of life and death. You know what the Lord said? You don't have any power except to be given to you from above. 
You didn't get this because of a political election or an election like that. You got this because God gave you that. You're probably fixing to misuse it there, Pilot. You got a chance to stand up, Pilot. History's going to record this, Pilot. For eternity, Pilot. Yeah, well, I don't know about you. You know what he says? He asked one of the greatest questions in the Bible. He says, what is truth? And he don't stay around long enough to get the answer. You know what some of you will do maybe before this is over with? I'm going to present you with the truth, though feeble it might be, and I'm going to show you, and I'm, you know what you're going to say? What is all that? It's your way to heaven. It's not in a picture. It's in a person. It's not in a church. It's in a person. You know how you get saved? You get saved by a person. You say, why? Because you're a person. You need the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I've got to hurry here. They take him over there. They walk him down. What some people have tried to make it in, they call it the Via Della Rosa and all that stuff. The bottom line is it's a long, winding path right through the center of town. I've been there. I've walked it. I'd like to take everybody in here. I'd like to rent about four commercial jets and fly every one of you over there and let you just see it. It's not like you might think it is. It's not something beautiful and magnificent. It's old cobblestone, roughshod sort of a road with all kind of stuff on the sides of the road, nothing remarkable about it, nothing special about it. People selling bread over here and people selling souvenirs over here and trash and filth in the streets and things like that. And here Jesus Christ, the king of the world, the creator of all things, barefooted, stripped down to nothing and walking out there beaten to within a half inch of his life, blood loss and sweat and tears, so emaciated he can hardly even carry the cross and he's walking down there falling on the very stones he created. You say, why? He's looking all the way down at a 2018 and he's looking at somebody at 3857 Hartley Road and he said, I did it for you. I did it for you. I did it for you. And he looks down here and he said, those of you that are already saved, he said, aren't you glad I did it for you? Don't you think he wasn't looking way down there? Don't you think for a second? He knows everything. He knows exactly what he's doing. And people say, well, I don't really matter. You mattered enough for the creator of the universe to die for you. You might not have amount to squat down here on this earth according to human beings, but you're important to Jesus Christ enough to die for. Well, you know, I didn't do this and I didn't do that and I never accomplished this and I never accomplished that and I didn't get a reputation and I didn't get this and I didn't get the prize and I didn't get the house, I didn't get the car. And I get the, Did you get Jesus? Then you got all you need. You live in eternity like a king. That's what matters. You say, why? Because he made you kings and priests. Don't be so caught up with it. They lay him down on the cross. Many people... Uh, make, make a whole lot of light of this kind of a deal. This isn't a pretty thing. By now, the soldiers are good and drunk. By now, they are, they are really, really drunk. And they are getting ready to try to execute this man, and they want to try to get it done as quickly as they possibly can. Now, the spike is generally about like this, probably around four inches or so long, that kind of a deal, or five to seven inches long, excuse me, and about four inches or, or point four inches in diameter. It's a good-sized spike. You say, why? It's not a ten-penny nail. You've got to hold somebody up there. Plus, it has to have a head on it big enough that when the individual goes into convulsions or what some people would call seizures, they would get so violent that they would literally pull themselves off the cross. You say, how is that possible? The violent slamming back and forth of the body against the cross eventually works the hole out between the hand here, which I'll show you in a second, and they wind up pulling themselves. That's why oftentimes you see pictures with ropes on them. The ropes weren't to hold them up on the cross. It was to hold them to the cross so that when they went into convulsions, as many of them did, when the blood loss and all and the loss of oxygen and the capillaries began to shut down the blood flow and then the oxygen, the little tiny oxygen bubbles began to die off one by one and carbon monoxide begins to build, not carbon dioxide, monoxide, and they begin to die off real slow. Convulsions begin to happen. Seizures begin to happen and they become to get real, real violent. They drive it in between the hand here. They say, well, it was in the hands. It was in the hands. In those days, they shook hands this way. Two reasons. Number one, that would have meant Thomas put his hand in the nail print of Jesus Christ. And number two, they would run their hand underneath somebody else's tunic to make sure they didn't have a knife on them. That was one of the ways of ensuring that there was something there. When they shook hands, they embraced this way. So Thomas would have put his hand right in the nail print of Jesus Christ without any problem whatsoever. Not only that, they'll tell you that they can't drive a spike that big in your hand without breaking a bone, number one. And number two, if they could, the flesh won't hold more than about 40 to 60 pounds depending upon how strong the flesh is. 
they know that when they hang an individual on the cross between this stipend that's across here, across the top of this, they know that the weight is going to bear out exactly the same. If it happens to be a 100-pound man, there will be somewhere in excess of about 72 pounds on this hand and 72 pounds on this hand. You might think that it would be maybe 35 and 35. The way they have it, the way they learned to hang them on this cross here, they made sure that the weight was borne equally by both hands. There's a lot of good preaching in that. But the weight was borne there for the purpose of one thing only, putting so much pressure on the median nerve that it caused excruciating pain beyond anything you can imagine. The median nerve runs right up between that and gets clipped over here when they drive the nail through here. These are all the medical terms for that, and Doc Eddie can do that, or one of the nurses can tell you all the fancy names for it. But the bottom line is, is if you take your hand right now, and you come just below the wrist right here, there's a whole bunch of bones that are in here, and I won't name them all for you, but you come down just below that, you can put your thumb in right there, and your finger here, there's a hole between those two bones. And you can drive a nail through that thing, and then it gives you the support of those where those two bones come together, and just one of them can hold the human body. But if you put them in the hand up here or the wrist bones, it'll not only break the bones, but it'll also tear out at the hand. I won't argue with you. That's the suffice to say that those holes in his hands right there are put there because of me touching things I had no business touching. They nailed him to the cross. Not because he had to be nailed to the cross in order to keep him there. He was willing to go there, but that's for the purpose of making him suffer. The Roman soldiers would get done with that and then they would lift him up on that stipend that's over there. They would raise the, indi the individual up. Oftentimes two or three or four of them would get behind it and they would lift the victim up and they would slide that, that, that uh, cross member across until it fell into place. And then once it fell into place, they would bend the individual's knees at such an angle as to be able to drive this between the metatarsal bones in the feet. Just a fancy word for the way your foot's spread out and put it here. Now, I want to remind you of this. Not only is not a bone broken, but here the pressure is not pulling, the pressure is pushing. So it's an entirely different thing than in the hand. You're not putting pressure to try to pull it. You're putting pressure downwardly because by putting pressure here, the individual is going to be able to breathe. Now, all the pressure is on his pectoral muscles and his lap muscles in his back. In order for him to be able to breathe, it's not these things like you see nowadays where he's hanging up there. Oftentimes they would take the victim and in order to take the biceps out of the movement, they would take him and turn his hands this way so that he couldn't pull this way, so he would be this way. And the only way he could pull was by pushing up with his feet and trying to get his legs to lock out as much as he could. And he would hold them until his thighs would begin to shake and then he would drop back down onto his hands. And he would do that because they're trying to restrict where the diaphragm comes up here and like a bellows holds up on those lungs they're trying to keep those lungs constantly under pressure where they can't take in a full breath you say why because the longer you can't exhale it creates this carbon monoxide that begins to build up in your system and it causes all your blood flow your blood cells to begin to die off very slow and very 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 painful so the individual that's on the cross would be panting more like And he could take in a breath, but in order to exhale it, he had to raise himself up and drop back and hold it because there was so much pressure when he's in this position. He can't exhale the breath, so he has to push himself back up to be able to exhale. And he would rotate back and forth, oftentimes taking his knees and flipping them from one side to the other using what's called the intercostal muscles and the oblique muscles in order to twist himself back and forth and then constantly twisting his arms in order just for him to be able to breathe. I was taught a long time ago, if you can't breathe, you can't fight. He's in the fight for eternity, not just for his life. Every human corpuscle inside him, every human muscle, every human uh, cell in his body as a human being is doing all it can to try to survive. But he has a greater picture that's going on. He's up here hanging on the cross right here and every movement he makes, no matter what it is, it's causing him to suffer. You say, why? For an atonement. The devil's right there by him. Psalms 22, the bulls of Bashan have surrounded me. The dogs with their mouth have gaped open. Carnivorous dogs are down there barking and howling at him. They're all down there trying to talk him out of it. They're fine with him being on the cross. They just don't want him to give his life. 
But you know what he's saying over the devils? Instead of making it a point to whip the devils, which he could do, you know what he said? I care about you. We talk a lot about self-esteem sometimes, and sometimes maybe we overblow it in the wrong direction, and I realize everybody needs a little bit of self-esteem, but whenever you get to feeling too sorry for yourself, think about this. Your value is equated to the one that died for you. Your price was enough to, for God to shed his only, give His only begotten Son. The value you have is, is for the most precious thing in the universe to be shed for you. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. Blood's everywhere now. This thing now has gotten to the point that the individuals have got him hung up there on the cross and he's up there and he's gasping and the people are crying and like you just heard the song sing, they're pale-faced, they're nauseated, they're watching this horrible, horrible suffering going on and it's not anything to be made light of at all. I can't paint the picture. I guess Gibson's movie painted it as close as I've ever seen it painted before of the suffering and all that, but they always forget the spiritual impact that's going on at the same time. Do you realize sometimes spiritual pressure, emotional pressure can be greater on you than physical? It can bring the weakest or the strongest man to the weakest point in his life and he'll snap like a twig in the wintertime. Jesus is up there hanging on the cross and the bulls of Bashan, the devils are all around him and the devil's up there trying to talk him out of it and trying to convince him that he doesn't need to do that. And he looks down there at the cross and he sees his mother. What a sight. Mama hadn't seen him in that condition since he was a newborn baby. Mama looks down there at it, looks up there at him at the cross. She's probably kneeling there and looking up there. Nobody looking for attention to grill onto her or anything like that. She's looking at her son up there, naked, beaten, torn to shreds, laughed, mocked, belittled. The Bible said they walked by wagging their heads, laughing, mocking, making fun of him. And he looks down at her. He doesn't say, Mama. He said, Woman. Behold thy son. Wasn't talking about him. He's talking about John. He tells John, take care of my mama. He's got other family members there. But there's something in that message. You say, what's in the message, preacher? The fact that he cares more about the spiritual than he does the familial or the, or the flesh. He said, if I'm going to trust you to somebody, mama, I'm going to trust you to John. He doesn't trust John to her. He trusts her to John. There's a reason for that. But he's up there dying, and the, the soldiers, as they would always do, it's just another death for them. They've seen people tortured. They've seen people die. These are battle-hardened soldiers. They've seen people with amputated limbs. They've seen heads come off. They've seen people beaten beyond recognition. It's nothing. It's worse than a dog to them. They could care less. It makes no difference. They're glad to see the guy gone. He's an insurrectionist. He just causes them trouble. They don't care nothing about him. They could care less how bad you beat them. It didn't turn them at all. It doesn't, make, it doesn't bother them at all. They're case-hardened like some of you. The sufferings of Jesus Christ mean nothing to you. Yeah, well, that was his job, one lady told me. A lady told me. Yeah, well, he was God. Yeah, but do you see what he's going through? How could that not turn your stomach? How could that not touch the hardest of heart? How could that not make some individual in here say, you know something, that's pretty rough, even if he was Jesus and even if I don't want him. I mean, give the guy a break. And they're down there, they got his tunic down there, they got his robe there down there gambling for it and playing games at the foot of the cross and his blood's being poured out for the one that are gambling for him. You know what I've learned? I've learned that people are still gambling at Calvary. I've learned that people are saying, I got you covered, go ahead, lay it on me, I don't care. I can handle it, I'll pay my own price. Without being too rude or anything else, you're a fool. You're an absolute fool if you think you can pay for your own sin at Calvary's cross, I mean, at, in hell. You're a fool. You're an absolute fool. Jesus Christ is up there dying. They're laughing. They're mocking. They're making fun of Him. They're gambling down there. It means nothing to them. You know what? I find that there's two places there at Calvary's cross. There's the individuals that it counts for, which a soldier does in a little while, and there's other individuals that are unmoved by Jesus' death on Calvary's cross. doesn't mean anything to them. I started this morning when I was going back over this thing real, real early this morning, up half the night thinking about it and trying to figure out a way to try to make it real to you. I thought there's a third group there. I said there's a group there that he died for and they've accepted, but they've forgotten it. They don't care. doesn't matter. No big deal to them anymore. We need to be reminded of Calvary. Jesus Christ is up there suffering now. God the Father is looking down. He's watching everything. Make no mistake about it. God the Father knows everything that's going on. When he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the cry of a man. You say, why? Our sins are on him. But God's looking right at what's going on. 
He knows what's happening. Oh, he had to turn away. He had to look. No, he watched the whole thing. He watched everything. He watched the wrath of God, the wrath of the devil, and our sin being poured out on his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, dying right there, watching the whole thing. Angels straining at the bit saying, let me go, man, let me go, let me go. I've been with him up here for eternity. Turn me loose. I'll wipe out that whole cotton picking earth. One angel that had already wiped out 185,000 said, hey, turn me loose, man. I can get that many or more. Let, just let me go. Let's just wipe out the human race like it did during Noah's flood. How dare them crucify the Son of God? Do they know who they have? No. No. <laughs> Father, forgive them, Jesus says. They know not what they do. Man, can't you hear the cry of compassion under that kind of torture? Under that kind of pain? Under that kind of misery? You know what he does? He looks all the way down here into 2018 on this day, what we call Easter or Resurrection Day, and he says, Father, forgive them. They're just human beings. They don't know what they're doing. Come unto me, he says, all you that labor and heavy laden. You say, why? I bore the burden on my back. See where the cross laid across there? Every time that victim would take those feet, leaning up against that cross, I wish I could get it where you could see it. If you put your foot there, there's no way. You, there, you can't do it unless you hyperextend and break your ankle. You cannot straighten your, your knee out. That means when you push up that nail, you push up on your toe, you can only hold it in the quadricep and the thigh muscle for just so long. And if yours are as weak as mine are, you'd be shaking real bad in a very, very short period of time. Now remember, they're dehydrated. The blood loss is phenomenal by now. Drained out and the quartz nearly coming out of there. And he's sitting there and he's, and he's pushing up like this. And then he rotates his legs over and he manages to get a quick breath and fill this lung and this lung collapses down. And he's stuck. And he's about to suffocate. And he pushes up again. And he tries to hold himself. And so when he would speak, it would be, Father. And he'd drop back down. And then he'd grab another breath and say, Forgive. And he would drop back down. And then come back up and say, Them. Not like you see. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Not like that. For him to even speak to push enough air to cause the vocal cords to vibrate would have been excruciating. For him to waste that breath to say a word would be taking from his own breath to be able to survive a little while longer. He's hanging up there now. God the Father looks down. You know what he says? The Bible says he made him to be sin for us. And the Lord blows out the chandeliers in glory. The sun is now draped with sackcloth and the moon refuses to shine and the darkness is upon the face of the deep the same way it was before the creation. It's black. No light. You say, why? The light of the world is in the heart of the earth. And it's gone out and there's a transaction taking place that only God sees and he looks like he turns the Lord into the Satan incarnate. And he becomes sin. He becomes sin. He becomes sin. The personification of sin for us. See, preacher, I can't get my head around it. I can't get my head around the fact that he would die for me. Let alone let him be, become the personification of sin for me. Well, they got him hanging on the cross. And once they get his feet where they can properly align them to get them turned up there, this is how they drive the nails into his feet. Well. All right, well, you get the idea. Thank you, Lord. You drive it this way in between the metatarsal, the bones of the foot here, and they wouldn't have to break a bone. Put it right here. Here's the thing that this doesn't show you. There's a median nerve that runs right down in the center, right there in the foot. So every time he pushes on that, it's like you're getting your tooth drilled. It causes, the one in the foot causes the body to move this way. The ones in the hand cause the body to go this way. So you have a constant moving and shaking of an already open back 
on the wood and the splinters of that rough-hewn wood just grind into the back like taking a grinder and running across those scabs and against those wounds that are already there. Might I remind you, that's quivering little ribbons of flesh that are shredded hanging there, plowed off of his back. Not some little tiny wisp, I mean all the way down where his bones are showing. So that you understand they've almost beaten all the flesh off of his back. You say, why? Old for me and you. Why? For us carrying burdens that we shouldn't carry ourselves. For us having worries that he tells us not to worry about. He said, I've already done it. Cast your care on me because I care for you. They hang him up there on that cross and they get him ready to, to die now. They've got him up there and he's making his last statements and he makes the greatest three words that could ever be said. He said, it is finished. What's he talking about? Not his life. He's talking about the work that God sent him to do. What work was that, preacher? The atonement. The atonement's now completed. Him dying on Calvary's cross and shedding his blood, it's now completed. There is no redemption without the shedding of blood. What is that? That's the perfect Lamb of God. Died interestingly at the same time of the Passover Lamb. Flayed interestingly at the same time the Passover Lamb was. Sacrificed amusingly at the same time the Passover was. Why? He came to fulfill the Passover. He is the Passover Lamb. When they got him up there hanging on the cross, he finally looks down and after he's commended John or his mother to John to take care of all that stuff and says, Father, forgive him. And he goes down into hell and he pays the price and dumps off of our sins. He comes back up in there and he says, All right, <coughs> uh, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. His spirit goes there. His soul goes down into eternity, down there in, in the heart of the earth there goes there, his spirit returns to God, and his body stays up there on the cross and never sees corruption. A little while later, they come by there, and uh, they're saying, man, it's getting late now. We're fixing to run into Passover. Well, all the religious people, you know, they want to make sure they don't have somebody hanging on the cross at, you know, resurrection time, at Passover time. I mean, we're commemorating coming out of Egypt, and we don't want to ruin our religious festivities. I mean, by having people hanging on the cross, what a horrible thing. I mean, what a terrible way. Isn't that similar to what we do today? Oh, we don't want to talk about the cross. You know, let's talk about bunnies and eggs and pretty clothes and stuff. We, we need to have our religious church service and come to church a couple of times a year, but don't be showing me this. I got kids. Don't we do the same thing? You know what the religious people said? Get him down. We don't want to be... Well, listen, the Sabbath is coming. We need to get... We're, we're at the time of Passover. We need to make sure that we don't have somebody... I mean, what would people say about us? How horrible would it be? If we're responsible for having people hanging on a cross. So as was very common, they would take a steel rod or a, what you would refer to almost like a baseball bat. Whichever one of the chosen ones of the soldiers would come by and they would break the legs of the individual on the cross. You say, why? There's no more strength to be able to pull up and the back and the pectoral muscles can't pull him back up now. If you break the legs, he can't push, he can't breathe, he will suffocate and then die of asphyxiation before very long at all. The asphyxiation is I can take it in, but I can't let it go. He could grab a breath, but if he couldn't push himself up, he couldn't turn it loose. And so eventually that carbon monoxide builds, and then before long, he dies a very, very, very painful death. Well, they come over there, and they break the legs of the first one. I don't know if you've ever been around. Maybe you've experienced it yourself. I don't know if you've ever been around when you've listened to somebody else's bone break. But when that bone breaks, if you're there close enough, it almost immediately causes an involuntary response. The first thing is the blood rushes to the stomach and you feel nauseated. You think you're going to throw up. If it's your own, a lot of times you do throw up. They come and shatter the leg bone. They're not interested in trying to make a clean break. They're interested in breaking the legs to the point that the victims die very quickly. You say, why? They want to get them down and get back home to mama, get back home to doing whatever they want to do. And so all of a sudden they come along and they come to Jesus. They've gone to the first thief and they busted his legs and they come to the second thief and I don't know, probably it's just preaching, but the second thief says, go ahead and break mine, I'm ready to go. I've already trusted the king's 
the universe, the king of the Jews. I know where I'm headed. Go ahead and break mine. I'd just soon get out of here. This suffering's enough for me. The other one's screaming and hollering, screaming and hollering, trying to preserve his life, even as much pain as he's in. And they bust their legs, and then they come to Jesus, and the soldier looks up there and pokes him a couple of times and tries to get a little life out of him. He can't get nothing out of him. And they say, well, it don't look like there's any need to break his bones. Isn't it funny they paused and hesitated? You know why? Because the Bible says not a bone was broken. They didn't even realize they were being controlled by the Bible before they even knew the Bible was written. The Bible says not a bone was broken. They're coming up there and they get ready to swing that bat and something says to that soldier, hey man, he's already dead. Why do you want to break his legs? And he goes up there and he pokes him and hits him, smacks him around, tries to get a response and he can't. And so the boss man comes around and he says, well, you need to make good and sure that he's dead and so that way we can justify not breaking his legs. So they take a spear or a long sword and they probably run it underneath the fifth rib and it finds its way up there through the pericardium, which is just a sac around the heart, and into the, probably the right or the left ventricle of the heart, and the Bible says, and blood and water flowed together. Interestingly enough, medical doctors will tell you that when those two things combine in the body, because your body is mostly water anyway, and blood is in that uh, closed system, when it flows together, they say, they say, that it's because of a broken heart. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know this. I know the Bible specifically says blood and water. You say, why? Maybe his heart was broken for you. Maybe he cared enough about you to, to show you more than just telling you about it. Maybe what he did for you is, is to show you he loved you by what he did for you. Amen. Well, they come to him, they jab him there, and you know what that guy says? He's really a smart fellow. You know what he says? <laughs> Not this is a son of God. Not that this was a great man. He said, truly, this is the Son of God. I've often wondered to myself what it was he saw. He's not talking about, you know, because the earthquake went off or because the people mocked and laughed and belittled. He saw something in Jesus and the way that Jesus died that said to him, that's got to be the Son of God. It couldn't have just been physical pain and suffering because you know what? Physical pain and suffering, he was a soldier. He had seen that. He'd seen people die every kind of way you imagine. But there was something in how he died that he had never seen before. You know what he said? I'm like that thief. This is the Son of God. He said, what do you think happened to him? I believe you'll see him in glory too. You know what he'll say? I'm the guy that ran a spear in him. You read about a guy running a spear in him? That was me. How'd you get here? I realized that he died for me. That water and that blood comes gushing out of him, most likely because of like an explosion, because of all the edema that built up there. That thing comes bursting out of him, boy, like a fountain, filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And boy, it comes spewing out, and it probably spews all over that guy. He's sitting down there like this, and he goes, man, there is something different about this blood. Now, I'm not saying that he was thinking, oh, what am I going to do here and all that. He said, I'm telling you, there's something different. That's the Son of God. And if that's the Son of God, this blood has the ability to do something for me I can't do for myself. Do you know the message is the same for you today? You know what the message is for you? The same as it was for the centurion, the same as it was for the thief on the cross. You come to Calvary one way or the other. If you don't come to Calvary now, you're going to go on and go to hell, and when you come out of hell to the great white throne, the Lord's going to ask you, why didn't you come to Calvary? Everybody's going to come to Calvary at some point in time. In the Old Testament, you say what happens. They had to do what they were supposed to do, and because of that, they did what they were supposed to do, and then the payment is finished and made for them at Calvary's cross. In the New Testament, though, for you people that are gathered here, you have to go to Calvary. You say, why? The way of the cross leads home. The only way you can get home is through Calvary. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I wish I could simplify it any better than that, but there's no way to make it any more simple. It's as simple as it can be. It's like ABCs. I have to admit I'm a sinner. If you can do that, you're halfway there. You're a third of the way there. I have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, died for me, for my sins, according to Scripture, buried, raised again the third day, and I kind of have to confess Him as my Savior. I don't confess my sins to get saved. I confess I'm a sinner, and I confess Him to save me. You say, well, it can't really be that simple. Would you be so foolish as to take the chance if it's not that simple? Do you really think you could work your way to heaven? 
If heaven is as splendorous as we think that it is, if it's as marvelous as we imagine it to be, if it's everything the Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither into the heart of man the things he hath prepared for them that love him. If it is that magnificent, could you please explain to me, tell me, how could you live righteous enough to inherit such a place? It can't be done, not if you're honest. But you know what he said? If you want to get in, it's as simple as trusting me. And I'm your one-way ticket there. And you know what he'll do? He'll do for you what he did for me when I was seven. I was seven years of age, I remember, and I'll give you the brief testimony. Seven years of age, I realized that I was going to hell. I didn't want to go to hell. The main reason was I didn't want to burn. I didn't know all the little things I may claim to know now. I just knew this. I knew hell was real and I knew I was a sinner. I remember picking around in them peas and English peas and mashed potatoes, gravy, roast beef, and that kind of a thing. Bad thing to say at lunchtime, even on Easter. And I'm sitting there picking through that stuff, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I don't Daddy said, what's wrong with you, boy? I mean, anytime a boy is not eating roast beef and mashed potatoes, something's wrong. And I said, I don't want to go to hell. Boy, it's like I hollered fire, man. I, even the dog took off running, man. Mama grabbed my sister and brother, and they took off out of the house and boofy. Went running over across the terrazzo floor trying to get out of there, you know, and stuff. And they went off into the back room. My daddy reached over that big old mitt of his and grabbed the corner of that chair. Yeah! Slid me over to the corner of that table. He said, the Bible says you don't have to, boy. And in a matter of about five minutes, man, I'm down there on my knees like this on the corner of that table. I can see it like it was yesterday with that plastic top because there were boys in my household and we're liable to spill anything at any time. I remember I can feel I can feel the roughness of that tablecloth, plastic tablecloth there, and I can remember seeing that tea ring and watching that 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 dew running down the side of that thing, that moisture running down and dripping there and making a ring there on the deal. And I remember bowing my head right there, and I remember my dad's big old hand around my shoulder, and he said, "You have to ask him to save you. I can't save you." And I prayed and asked Jesus Christ to save me, and right there, that moment in time. My, my destination changed. I went from headed to hell to headed to heaven. You say it can't be that simple. Okay, well, complicate it if you want to, but if somebody did that, he ain't going to make it hard for you to get there. Now, if you're here today and you're not saved, this message is for you. If you're here today and you're saved, you need to be reminded. You need to be thankful. You need to be grateful of what he did for you. But if you're here today and you're lost, it's your day to get saved. You say, why? You came to Calvary today. I showed you what happened. You say, well, I don't believe that. That's just something historical or whatever. Okay, well, then I guess you have to go on to hell then. I can't help you. But if you'll recognize that you're a sinner, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you know what people will make you believe? They'll make you believe he can't die for somebody to commit a sin like you. They'll make you believe there's certain things that he can't pay for. He can save you from any sin except rejecting Him. Any sin. Don't let somebody lie to you and tell you that you're too wicked a sinner. He can't save you. He can save you no matter what you do, but He can't save you from yourself, meaning rejecting Him. Now, if you want to trust Him as your personal Savior, today is the day of salvation. In just a minute here, I'm going to have Miss Pat come up and she's going to play on the organ here for you. Somebody will help her get behind the, the boards there. And I'd like for you, if you're a Christian, if you would please, to just bow your head and close your eyes. And I'm going to give an invitation first to people that are not saved. First to people that are not saved. I have something for you folks that are saved here in just a minute. But ladies and gentlemen, if you're not saved, if you're not saved, could you listen to me for just a minute? Step number one is I have to admit that I'm a sinner. Nobody is looking around. I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to put you on the spot, not publicly. Nobody's looking around. Everybody's head's bowed. I'm going to ask you this question. Preacher, I'm not positive that if I were to die right now that I would go to heaven. Could you just slip up your hand and say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. Anybody like that? Just slip up your hand. By your testimony, then you're all saved. If that's true, then here's the second part of the, uh, of the invitation. Christian, have you taken what Jesus Christ did for you for granted? Have you been a while since you paused and thought about not just his physical suffering, but all the things he went through for you in the spiritual and emotional sense? Maybe you're not in fellowship like you ought to be. 
because you've just kind of gotten relaxed a little bit? If you're like that, nobody's looking around. You just slip your hand up and say, Preacher, how about me? There they are. There they are. They're going up all over. They're going up all over. Anybody else? They're going up all over. Okay, thank you. Now, the way to get back is, is even while you're right there, you don't even have to come to the altar. I'm not going to force you to come to the altar. You certainly can when she begins to play. But you know what you can say? Lord, forgive me. Thank you for reminding me. Get me back in fellowship where I need to be. I'm sorry, Lord, I've let all these things going on in the world cloud the face, block, the most important thing in my life, and that's when I came to you at Calvary and what you did for me, and I've, I've just kind of gotten out of focus. And if that's you today, you can ask the Lord to do it, and I'm telling you, just like that, just like that. You know what he'll say? He'll say, come home. 